What is the meaning of life? I love questions like these, and this one, this great-grandmother of all questions, this one is an old friend of mine. Because once upon a time, I wanted to be a philosopher. Now, aside from the obvious employment challenges such a career choice entails, I had a marvelous time as a PhD candidate at the University of Maryland so many years ago. And I loved the big questions. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? They were like blood in the water, and I was some kind of shark just ready to gobble them all up. Now, my joy was not quite shared by my department advisor. His concern was that I didn't really understand the point of a degree program. Enthusiasm was great and all, but he said what I really needed was a question that I could do more than just dance with. I needed something I could analyze, something I could either disassemble or move into an entirely new direction. The meaning of life didn't really fit that bill. Because, he argued, what could I add to what has already been said by the great sages? Perhaps I ought to tackle something simpler, like the biomechanical implausibility inherent in prevailing solutions to the mind-body problem. Uh, It's more interesting than it sounds, but I didn't stick to my guns back then, and I eventually decided to get a job teaching IT instead. And if I'm being honest, I've regretted that decision ever since. Part of what makes me so disappointed is that seeking the meaning of life is not a useless quest. It is the only quest. This is the root and stock of every single great novel, the backdrop of every epic, the one measure by which we all measure our lives. Will we measure up? How can we even know if we never learned which measuring stick we were supposed to use? Because there are a lot of them. Lots and lots of measuring sticks to show us what a meaningful life is or could be. Author and Buddhist nun Pema Chodron tells us that we should live our life as an experiment. And this sounds like a good plan. So, let's play a game. My bet is that if you ask the average person, what is the meaning of life, what you'll get back is a blank look or maybe a startled laugh. It'll be as if you ask them about their favorite murderer, or the best paperclip, or what a colorless green idea is. Now, you don't have to trust me on this one. I'm assigning it as homework. Because sometime over the next week, I want you to ask someone, not someone in the car next to you while you're waiting for the light to change, or the person behind you in the checkout line, I mean a friend, someone you know. And just to be clear, not over that first cup of coffee, that's just mean. (laughs) But maybe over a glass of wine or a meal. 
See how many of them pull your beverage away from you as if to say, hey, I think you've had enough. <laughs> to prepare you for these conversations, I propose to add a few unusual measuring sticks to your set of talking points. My thought is that many of us are pretty familiar with answers that are traditionally Western. And this is hardly surprising, because there are a lot of them, too. And for fun, maybe we'll get to that next time. But this time, I'm going to head to India and China and cherry-pick four answers to the question, answers as proposed by Confucius and Lao Tzu, as found in the Bhagavad Gita, and as lived by the Dalai Lama. Some of you may find these familiar, and to you, I apologize. I'm going to do my best to do justice to these great traditions in the format that we have, which will require some oversimplification. But for anyone interested in looking at the source materials, I am happy to tell you that there are some truly excellent translations available, and I'll make sure they're added to the print version of this text when it goes online. So our first stop, Confucius. If asked, I think Confucius might have said that the goal of life is effortlessness. This is not to say that the goal that a good person aims their life towards is easy or easily achieved. Far from it. Effortlessness was that almost unconscious grace and beauty that results from true mastery, whether of dance, of poetry, or martial skill, but most particularly for Confucianism, the rituals of propriety and respect. All of those rituals required skills, skills acquired through endless practice, and that practice crafted a life envisioned much like a gemstone, perfectly cut, finely ground, constantly polished. The true master, then, would have studied the rituals so intently that they were then able to respond effortlessly to any new or unexpected situation. The meaningful life was one that elevated itself through practice. The acts of the worthy life were themselves performance art, elegance that was achieved through and across a lifetime's practice. And that is the answer, our first answer, for the meaning of life. Practice makes perfect. I think many of us in the United States have chosen a path that Confucius would have endorsed what author Malcolm Gladwell describes as investing the 10,000 hours of practice required to achieve mastery, whether that's working on a golf swing or diagnosing the sick, making an omelet, or writing a sermon. Time and effort can combine to create skills, skills that we can use, perhaps, to start or advance a career. So what skills do you want to add to your repertoire? How can you make your life more interesting, more intricate, more suffused with the pleasure and satisfaction that effortlessness might bring. Our second stop is Tao, a word that translates as way, as in a way of life. It also means way, as in way of thinking. 
It also means way, as in the way the universe is. Tao means all of these things all at the same time. My first thought hearing that is that sounds complicated, and it kind of is. But the point that Taoism is trying to make is that I am trying too hard. And those that are following Confucius, they're trying way too hard. In fact, they have meaningfulness exactly backwards. When someone is hurt, you don't need to study a philosopher to learn that all people should help those in need. You don't need to be taught by your parents that helping is a good thing. You don't need a good Samaritan law requiring you to help. You don't need a set of rules before you are allowed to help. The good person just helps, and that is the way. The way is built into human nature. We already know how to be. The goal of life, then, is to uncover this now-hidden truth, to strip away the rituals, unwind the laws, forget the teachings, and ignore the sages, and get in touch with that deep well of effortless intuition that all creatures were born with. That is where inner peace and harmony lies, where you find true meaningfulness. Don't think, and in fact, thinking just gets in the way. Just be effortlessly. And that is our second answer. Just be. I think many Americans could probably do with a good bit of Taoist non-thinking. Maybe even some of you. We think, we debate, we analyze, and we get lost in the details. John Lennon said that life is what happens while you're busy making other plans, and the Taoist would say that's a good thing, as we humans have a nasty tendency to lose track of the here and the now. As author Alice Morse Earle said, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. And that, is, is why, that is why it is called the present. Our third stop turns to India where we find the Bhagavad Gita, one of the major Hindu holy texts. And in it we find the story of a general having doubts about a battle he's about to fight. The entire book is a discussion between the general and his charioteer, who just happens to be the god Krishna. I just want it noted that the next time I have to go into battle on a chariot, I want a god as my charioteer. When it comes to duty, Krishna says, it doesn't matter if you're a priest, a soldier, a laborer, or a peasant. The best that you can ever hope to do is to do whatever it is you are supposed to do. That's your duty. Yes, duty varies according to your social location, your role, and your circumstance, but wherever you are in life, you have obligations. And discharging those obligations to the best of your ability is the best path to karma. The word karma translates as action, where the idea is that all of your actions have consequences. Right actions have good consequences. Wrong actions have bad ones. But every action 
has consequences, even if those consequences only apply in a subsequent life. And I'll get back to that in a second. But getting back to the Bhagavad Gita, I should issue a spoiler alert. Krishna tells the general that good karma is earned through properly discharging one's duty, and bad karma is avoided through discipline. So now you know. Social justice issues bring a lot of folks to the UU church and the urge to help others to do more. That urge is one that Indian leader Mohandas Gandhi might well have welcomed. His understanding of right action was expressed as an all-encompassing service to others. A lesson he said he learned from the Bhagavad Gita, a book he read often. Following this example, Tulsi Gabbard, a major in the U.S. Army and the first Hindu elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, said, I choose to take the oath of office with my personal copy of the Bhagavad Gita because its teachings have inspired me to be a servant leader, dedicating my life in service to others and to my country. Accept your duty and do it with your whole heart mind, and strength. And that is our third answer. Most of us are today at least familiar with the idea of reincarnation, the idea that you're born, you live a while, you die only to be reborn again. In Indian traditions, you could find yourself a bottle washer in this life, in the next, a butterfly, in the next, a bird. In the next, a god. And so on and so on across an infinity of lifetimes, your soul migrating haplessly from one life to the next with no power to stop, no control over what happens next, and no end forever. At the risk of oversimplifying, I think you can say that Hinduism attempts to tip those scales, seeking out a life that earns more karma, good karma, than bad karma, and maybe the next life will be filled with more rewards than punishments. But Buddhism took a different approach, escape. How? Earn no karma, good or bad, and as a result, break the cycle, win nirvana, that place of perfection, a place beyond suffering, including beyond the suffering of endless death and rebirth. I think we could argue that the Buddhist goal of ending suffering is a pretty worthy and meaningful one, but there's an extra step taken by the Dalai Lama that I want to call forward because it's an interesting blend of both Hindu and Buddhist thought. <clears throat> As many of you know, Dalai Lama is not a name. It's a title. It means roughly the big guru. The current Dalai Lama is Tenzin, and he is said to be the 14th incarnation of the Bodhisattva of compassion. This word Bodhisattva refers to those Buddhist masters who have already awakened, but have chosen not to leave the cycle of death and rebirth. They have chosen to forsake the rewards of nirvana and return life after life for a single purpose, to help others find their way. 
Recall the Bhagavad Gita and the idea of discharging one's duty as based on one's position, whatever that is. Well, in this case, the position is perfection, and the duty is helping everyone else find their way. For the Bodhisattva, it's not enough to find the door to enlightenment. The duty is to hold that door open and usher everyone else through it before closing it behind. A Bodhisattva is here as long as we are here, holding the door, life after life, world without end. Comedian and TV personality Whoopi Goldberg puts it a way that I find pretty appealing. She says that we're here for a reason. I believe a bit of that reason is to throw little torches out to lead people through the dark. And that is our fourth answer. So here we are. One question, four cultures, four responses. Practice makes perfect is one. Just be is two. Do your duty, three. Hold the door, four. And I trust you are all now adequately prepared to go forth and have your light dinnertime conversations, right? <laughs> Excellent. I'm reminded of a pair of church of photos of church signs that I saw recently on Facebook. The first sign read, all of life's questions answered here. The second sign read, all of life's answers questioned here. <laughs> I like to pretend that the second one was a Unitarian Universalist church because I think that says quite a lot about who we are. Our fourth principle states that we covenant to affirm and promote the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And our third source states that we draw wisdom from the world's religions which inspire us in our ethical and spiritual life. And that's my hope for today, inspiration. Inspiration to maybe make a change not in the world around you, but, well, at least not yet, but today is about you, a change within, a change that starts with a question, a question of who you want to be, a question about meaning in your life, whether you have it now or have it within your grasp or whether you're going to need to take a few steps to get to that point, it doesn't matter. All that matters right now is that you ask the question. Because our culture has a problem. Truth be told, it has many, but the one I'm looking at is the blithe and unexamined way we structure and spend the time that we have. As if that time is limitless or unimportant. As if it doesn't really matter how we spend any given day. As if we don't have the power to do it differently as if we shouldn't do it differently. We UUs have a leg up, I think. Not every one of us is woke, or at least not woke all the time, but I think that as a group, we may be closer to it than many, and for that I'm grateful. But Monday is coming, and there are more holidays around the corner and suddenly it'll be New Year's and once again we'll be talking about our resolutions and about all of those changes we want to make. But before all of that, 
And maybe as a setup for all of that, I invite you to play my game. My bet is that posing the question is going to be hard. It's going to feel weird. And I should confess, I was reluctant to play too. I left this series of questions in a grad school notebook many years ago and forgot about them. I like to think that those questions didn't forget me. And they found me during a job transition and in, a jo in a, an act of philosophical mugging reminded me that asking questions is a great way to start some much needed trouble. I've been asking them over and over since and it's liberating. So, ask your friends, what is the meaning of life? Or if that's too bold, maybe just ask yourself, what makes life meaningful? Maybe try on one of the measuring sticks that we looked at today. But be prepared. Unexpected things happen when you ask questions about meaning, about purpose, about life. Good things, perhaps. Maybe uncomfortable things. Who knows? Maybe you'll change careers. My father-in-law did that four times. Maybe you'll run for office. It's not like we couldn't use some great candidates, and who better? But maybe you'll just have a great conversation, and that's fine, too. But maybe that conversation will spark something whether it's a great fire in the soul or even just a little torch. It can be enough to lead others out of the darkness. May it be so. Good luck and amen. As San mentioned during our chalice lighting, today is the first day of Advent, the first of four Sundays on the Christian calendar that leads to Christmas. It's a quiet time of year a waiting time of year, time of reflection, of questions, of anticipation, of momentous change. A friend told me that she thought the darkness of December really lends itself to this kind of waiting, like a thought not quite formed, a breath not quite taken, like a great wheel almost ready to turn. May the seeds sown in darkness bring forth love and light and compassion in all and for all. And remember, as we prepare to leave this place, continue your journey in love. Care for one another. Care for this, our earth. Do justice and make peace and as you go, know that whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace, of joy, that goes with you out into the world. We are different for having spent this time together. So live boldly and with thanksgiving. And when we go, remember, go in peace.